Are you ready to manage your work and personal world better to live a fulfilling, productive life? Then you've come to the right place. Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things productivity. Here are your hosts, Ray Sidney Smith and Augusto Pinaud, with Francis Wade and Art Gelwicks. Welcome back, everybody, to Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things personal productivity. I'm Ray Sidney Smith. I'm Francis Wade. And I'm Arthur Gelwicks. Welcome, gentlemen. And here we are in our fifth episode in our ongoing series about getting things done or the GTD methodology. And as practicing GTDers, once practicing GTDers or non-practicing GTDers, we are here to talk about the various aspects of how the getting things done methodology uh, works and how we all view it from our, our different areas of expertise and uh, experience with the getting things done world. And what I want us to do today is to talk about the fifth stage in the workflow map or the workflow diagram that most people know as doing or engaging now. In the first edition of the book, it was called Doing. And now in the March 25th edition, which is the latest edition of the book, David Allen talks about it as engaging. And this is actually a change, as I talked about in the last episode, uh, from the March uh, 2010 uh, book, Making It All Work by David Allen. He had changed some lingo, and that has made its way over to the latest edition of Getting Things Done. And what I'd like us to do is to, uh, in this episode, talk about what engaging means to each of us. Then we will cover the models that David Allen provides to us for being able to engage in the productive work that we're trying to accomplish. So let's start off with defining engaging. Uh, I'll, I'll say that for me, engaging is the process of being able to get into action. So I, I really see it as many different pieces of the puzzle that are the glue that holds the system together. As we've talked about before, and as I frequently quote from David Allen, the reality is, is that getting things done, GTD, is not about getting things done. It's about actually knowing what you're not getting done. However, once you do start getting things done, knowing how to appropriately engage, as he talks about, is so important. Because if you don't know how to engage with the work, he doesn't know what work you're doing, by the way. That's the thing, is that he doesn't know what, what you're doing, whether you're a programmer or an executive or a house cleaner. It, none of that really matters to him. What, what matters to him, because he doesn't know how to do your exact job, is to be able to give you the tools to be able to engage with that work, that type of work, when you get there. So that's what engages for me. It's, the, it's that glue that holds together your ability to get into action when you need to. Engaging to me is one of those things that it's actually partway through the process because at that point you've already figured out what you need to do. It's just a matter of getting started on doing it and having everything set up so that you can start to make progress on moving through whatever that particular item is, whether it's working on that report or cleaning up a room or whatever. It's take it's taking that next logical step of I've got it planned out, get off your duff and get moving on it. At least that's the way I see it. I come at it from the other, other direction. In, in, apart from what David Allen says in his books, 
Um, I, I, if, if I look at the average person who, who does what they do on a regular basis, on a daily basis, they're either doing or they're thinking about doing. So I'm, I think of just more of it in, in terms of two steps. You're either engaged, you're either executing or you're thinking about and planning to execute. And that's about it. It's, it's sort of simpler if I come at it from looking at what people actually do. David Allen gives us the threefold model for identifying work. And tell me if I'm on target with what you're kind of talking about here, Francis. But David Allen gives us a three threefold model for identifying daily work, which he gives us the three bullet points. Quoting here, when you're getting things done or working in the universal sense, there are three different kinds of activities you can be engaged in. Doing predefined work, doing work as it shows up, and defining your work. And so he gives us these three, uh, the the threefold model as a mechanism for understanding you're you're really only doing three types of work, and in in the sense of of buckets of work, and those are the three buckets. Am, am I am I on target here, Francis, in terms of what you're talking about, or? Yeah, the first I in my world the 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 first kind of work is the thinking about and the planning. And the latter two, which is uh doing the work that's already defined and doing the work as it shows up, is what everybody does every day anyway. Um it's the actual doing of work. I don't see them as three and this is my criticism of the model, I guess. I don't see them as three, but as just two kinds. You're either planning or you're doing. And how you do is a different matter, but I think it's just, it's kind of binary for most people. Yeah, I have to agree with Francis on that one. I, I look at it two different ways. You have, you are either working to work or you are working on work. Uh, beyond that, you're going to recap and figure out what you did. But at the front end of it, you're either figuring out what you're going to do or you're doing it. Uh, I don't know, unless somebody else can articulate something to me that would fit as a third category for that, that's about as basic as I get it. Yeah, and I think that David Allen is just basically saying that de defining what you're going to do is a type of work. There's doing the work, and then there's thinking about or defining the work. Now, he's broken down doing the work into doing work that's already defined or doing work that shows up as an emergency. But the distinction is between planning and doing. You get the difference? Right, but but either way, you're you're taking predefined work and bundling it into just work, and then you then the other coin is defining what you're going to do. With that understanding, that at least from David Allen's perspective, there are um, three working modalities, and then he takes us uh, to and and this is now going kind of going backwards again, but stepping back to his first model, which he calls the fourfold model. Let me get this correct. The four four criteria model for choosing actions in the moment. There's nothing pithy about that, but uh, <laughs> but the four criteria model, as I tend to call it, is uh, is basically his ability to uh, define the the factors that help us to filter out what actions we can do in any moment. So this is not the uh, the modal verb would, could, should in that sense, but it gives us what we can do right now. Uh, and so in that sense, we want to be able to look at context, time available, energy available, 
and ultimately priority. And so let's start to unpack this. Let's define for listeners what we all think about in terms of context, time available, energy available, and priority, and then how we approach these different pieces of being able to filter down to what is it we can do. So let's start with context. Context for me is, is in increasingly irrelevant. Uh, he, he, defined, he defined context as a big deal back in the pre-mobile internet era. And nowadays, the physical context that were so predominant at the time, um, for me, have gone away because, you know, I travel, like most people, I travel with my mobile phone. I have a lot of computing power available to me at any time. I happen to work from home so I don't have office versus home. So it doesn't really, doesn't really have much of a meaning for me anymore. Uh, but the way he defined it was mostly around physical, physical, physical availability of equipment, objects, um, resources, data, and those, those lines have blurred to the point where many people say that there is just one context nowadays. You just have access to almost everything at your fingertips if you're the average working professional. So for me, it's, it's diminished in importance. Yeah, I'd be inclined to agree with Francis on this one. Context for me has gotten, this is where I think GTD gets hung up. And I know he's updated as Francis mentioned in the newest versions of the book, but people get hung up on that fact. Well, I don't have to go home to use my computer. My computer's in my bag. Context, I like to think about it as separating by these are things that are for work. These are things that are for me. These are things for my consulting and use that as the contextual framework because I apply that as a way of getting into the right mindset for the right type of work I'm doing right then. So if I know I'm going to sit down and work on a bunch of personal stuff, I can pull up my personal context and say, okay, these are all things that I have to do. I'm not bouncing back and forth between these various silos that I have to do with. I know it's not true to the GTD model, but it's for me, it's a very useful modification of that. And I'll take the other side of that coin there for, for folks who are listening in the sense that I believe that contexts have become more important over the course of time, not less important. They just become more granular. And so, for example, in my world, instead of having my, uh, you know, so, so in first, let's define context as David Allen sees it, and I'll just I'll literally quote from the book because it's such a, such an easy short definition here. He says, uh, uh, "quote You are always constrained by what you have the capability to do at this time. A few actions can be done anywhere, such as drafting ideas about a project with a pen and paper, but most require a specific location at home, at your office, or having some productivity tool at hand, such as a phone or a computer." End quote. So from, from my perspective, there is no question in my mind that having access to my phone, laptop, mobile tablet, and internet broadband access in some way, shape, or form, whether that's over you know, the cellular network or uh, Wi-Fi uh, or hardline connected, uh, it doesn't matter. The, the point is, is that having access to those tools, those pieces of, of, of what are the puzzle of getting things done, uh, are not the end to me being able to actually do the things I need. So if we accept time and energy, which are the next two 
pieces in the in the uh, four criteria model. The, the reality is is that there's still a whole bunch of granularity there that I need to know about getting things done. So, for example, the reality is is that certain work really can only be done not because I couldn't sit in a an airport lounge and work on something, but it's not the appropriate place for me to do that. For example, if I'm waiting to board a plane, I should not call my mom because that's going to be a longer conversation. And, uh, and, and so we get to time available, but more so than that, I'm not in the best happy mood when I'm about to board a plane. I'm usually actually pretty cranky and, and we just want to get on the plane and there's a lot of commotion and it's just not the appropriate time. So having quiet, you know, a quiet location with the amount of time available then becomes important in that context. So context being that kind of thing where it's like, okay, I'm not in the right place. Being at the airport is not the appropriate place for me to have uh, personal private conversations. Then there's the other factor of, okay, well, what, what am I actually using, right? To say that I have my laptop doesn't necessarily mean, or, or that I have a computer and the internet doesn't necessarily mean that I have actually the right software to be able to make things happen. And more and more, uh, as as Art can uh, probably agree with me as well, being uh, you know on a Chromebook at work for most of the time, both of us can probably get ninety five percent of our work done in a browser, and that's or through a mobile application today. But there are times when I have work to do in very specific programs where I need that program and that's not on a specific device or it is on a specific device. And therefore I need to, I need to be on that device to do it. So the context then becomes that specific piece of software. So I'll say this thing, this context is Premiere, which is Adobe Premiere, the video editing software. And I don't travel around with that big honking software application, nor the huge files it creates because you know they're large video files. It's on my travel laptop. I don't want that lost. Uh, if it's if it's stolen or lost or you know uh, gets damaged or whatever, I'm not going to have the backup resources to be able to recover that kind of thing. So really start to think about context from the perspective of: Is it appropriate for you to be working on these things on these devices wherever you are? And if not, then that becomes a delimiter, and then you can go ahead and filter for that so that you can make the protocol such that when I'm sitting at my office desk with my full powered computer, I'm going to work on on this. And if you're like me, and you do travel for work, then the things that really are only appropriate for you to do on the road are then the context for those as well. So it starts to give you some, some natural workflow pieces. It makes sense to me, but I'm going to kind of push back on a little bit because it sounds like what you're defining is the requirements for the work just as much as what the classic context would be. So if we think about the context being computer, okay, great. That means that if I'm at the computer, I can sit down and look at all the work that I could potentially do at the computer. But the context you just described, to me, I, I would be defining the requirements of accomplishing that piece of work. So, you know, things like needing Adobe Premiere, things like needing a specific machine, they're not going to define when I can do the work, but when I sit down to do the work, they're going to tell me what I'm going to need to be successful about it. 
I don't know that that's necessarily not what you said. It's just a different way that my brain's hearing it. And I look, that to me sounds less contextual and more almost a labeling or a tagging of work. So if I throw this into a tool, for example, if I were to throw it into Todoist, I could go through and apply multiple labels to things, identifying that this needs Adobe Premiere and this needs Adobe Premiere and this needs Adobe Premiere, which technically by definition, I guess, is applying context. But I don't know that I would use that term. And the only reason why I probably wouldn't use that term is I go back to its loaded meaning from the original versions of GTD. So I don't know if I clarified anything or not, but that's kind of what I was hearing. Yeah. And and I and I think you were hearing me correct. Yeah, I would totally, you know, if I'm going to be working in Excel or Google Sheets, I do a lot of, you know, work in those programs and you know, to do data analysis of, of various things. I try not to do those with other things because when I'm in uh, number crunching mode and trying to create, you know, visualizations, uh, you know, graphical, uh, you know, representations of the data for, for myself and for clients, that's something that I want to do separate and apart from other things. So I I think that that context-based actions lists that David, as David Allen proposes works for me, and it may not work for everybody, right? But it works for me very clearly, um, not because I create separate lists, it's because I use that as a tag, as you're talking about art, to, in essence, create dynamic lists of what needs to happen. I, I don't find the need for, say, at phone, as a as a list for or at calls i tend to work on a project basis so i tend to work you know from these are the things that need to get done so i don't necessarily need the efficiency of a calls list but i have the ability to do it because i can filter my task manager to look at all of my calls because i've tagged them as calls so it just depends on how you look at the flavor of your flavor of your system in order to be able to identify what can happen and again this goes back to who, who the original audience of GTD was for. And David Allen was trying to help corporate executives, people who would hire him to do coaching and training. And so these are these tend to be people who are dealing with executive time in the sense that, you know, they're running from meeting to meeting and trying to identify in the moment, what is it that I can accomplish right now? And that tends to fall... Um, short for people who have a lot of unstructured time in the same location. So if you're in your office all day long with all of your resources to get your work done, then that's not really much of a, you know, the binary that is at work and at home, right? But there's not much that can not be done if you have that kind of in uh, space where you don't do a lot, of, you aren't in a lot of meetings and there aren't a lot of things uh, vying for your attention other than the work at hand. Now, I think you just called out probably one of the most important points about this for people who, like me, struggle with this concept a little bit. And that's the difference between two of his most commonly referenced contexts, computer versus calls. I mean, with anybody who's arguing against GTD goes back, or not necessarily against, but struggling with it, goes back to the at computer context. Well, my computer's always with me. Why do I need that as a context? But if you look at the flip side, the calls context, frames work together. So if you're in a place, a quiet place where you're going to be there for a little while, you can pull up that list of calls you need to make and drill through it or emails you need to reply to 
or uh, articles you need to read. So if we stop thinking about or getting hung up on the physical aspect of the context, which in some cases it's necessary, but for the most part, if we're able to move away from that and think about how using context around functional requirements, be they physical or otherwise, an aggregation of the type of work we need to do, to me, it seems almost like it makes more practical sense. I would be much more inclined to use a calls context to knock out phone calls I need to make than to ever worry about this is the stuff I need to sit down at the computer and do because to be honest with you, everything I do winds up getting done at the computer. And that's exactly how I today utilize contexts. But for me, it's more software available to me or software I'm going to best work and not necessarily the efficiencies of grouping together emails, calls, text messages, or whatnot. I, I just don't see myself use, utilizing that function. And I think that's a really good kind of test for yourself is to create the different types of context lists and see if you actually start doing them based on their groupings. And if you don't, then stop using the groupings because they're not useful to you. And not don't get hung up on the idea that, oh, I'm not making all of my calls at once because I, you know, they're on my calls list and I'm not making the call. There's probably some other reason or difference for you not doing them than them being grouped together in one list. Now let me ask you two guys a, a question that I get a lot. Do you use contexts to determine what work you should be doing? So if you're at a point where it's I've finished what I was working on. I need to get started on something else. Do you actually look at context and say, I'm in this context, what's the next work I should be doing? Let me answer that question with a, a big picture sort of point of view. It may, it may blow things up a little bit, but let me, let me go for it. Um, I don't. And the reason I don't is that the, the, the purpose of applying any kind of tagging or context or whatever, and this has nothing to do with David Allen per se. I'm just going to talk about what people do. When they create a task, they automatically think of what scarce resource may get in the way of that task being completed effectively or on time. And when David Allen wrote his book, my point of view is that he focused on the, 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 the context that he created because for him, those were the limiting physical location is a limiting, was a limiting factor at the time. Like I said, it's not a factor any longer. But I think that when someone applies any kind of tag to a task, according to the, the reason that I mentioned, which is that they're trying to make the most of some scarce resource, whether it's, whether it's space or time, I think that that, cha that, that changes over time. Actually, they, 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 the resource that they're trying to use or trying to to manage changes and i think in his case he wrote the book based mostly on physical context and he threw in a couple other contexts because he found he uses he uses those also but that's really just a reflection of his personal behavior i think there's a much larger behavior a much larger a larger I hate to use the word context but a larger story to tell which is that we're all doing that and we're always doing that and we should be using context to decide or whatever tag we do, apply to decide what to do next. He offered his, and they've been very valuable to lots of people. 
but it's not the end of the story. You know, he, 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 he essentially says, use, use context as I define them first, then use time. And what I've found in my research is that people who are time-pressed, context disappears or goes to a, a second or third or it's no longer the highest priority. The number one priority then becomes time. Now, in, in his book, he doesn't recognize or doesn't acknowledge that switch. He says people who do that shouldn't do it, basically. They shouldn't use time as the number one determinant of what to do next. But if you talk to any busy executive, that, of course, is what they care about. Time is what they care about far more than any other tag. So back to my sort of summary. The reason we tag is to decide what scarce resource do I need to optimize? In other words, how do I decide what to do next? And I look to my scarcest resource in order to make the decision. And I think that's a human behavior that covers everyone. It's just that we have different ways of deciding and the different ways of deciding more or less correlate to the amount of tasks we're trying to manage at any one time. So to answer your question, I don't use context. Because for me, time is the scarce resource, not the equipment or the software or the how I'd want to bundle it or any of the other things that David Allen happens to use. Asking the, the, the question should is, is, is not in my lexicon, right? And because from a, a David Allen perspective is, can you do it, right? So it's the immediate, immediate limiting factors of it. So I would, I would probably say the opposite of, of Francis in the sense that while it's a human behavior to uh, to defer to time as the first criteria, if again, I can't drive to the market and buy milk if I'm on an airplane or if I'm on a train, right? So it's the, it's reality <laughs> for me. Like that's how I see it is like, what's reality right now? Like, do I have the ability to do these things? And from a great reservoir of experience, I try to look at what's going on. And that comes later in terms of priority and, and using what I call intuition to, to get there. But I think it's like, what's what's reality right now, right? So maybe your system currently doesn't have a way to distinguish that, say your phone battery dies. So now you're without a device and you're standing grocery store line. What can you do in that moment? That's the essence of context. And maybe that's not what most people think of today, but I think it's certainly a valuable thing to think of, uh, you know, if you, if you want to, um, if you want to be on that level of being productive, because the, the time you have available is I think ultimately secondary, right? And I, maybe this is just a semantics issue. Just to, just to clarify something, I'm not saying that time is, is the most important one for humans. It's the most important one for busy people, but not for not necessarily for most people. It's just that there are people who, for whom it becomes the limiting factor. And I think the the, the there's value in doing what you're what what he says, what what David Allen said, which is, if you find yourself in a particular place, take advantage of the place and do the things that are convenient to that place. At the beginning of every day, we decide what can what physical locations to put ourselves in. So in other words, we choose to go from our office to our home, to the car, to the airport. And it's sure it makes sense to take advantage of doing certain things in certain locations if you can. But the decision to put yourself in those locations 
is way bigger than the decision, oh, I'm here at the airport, I might as well buy that new set of headphones. That's way down in terms of priority. The number one priority was the decision to be at the airport in the first place. And although it's, it's convenient, it's, you know, it's helpful to combine tasks around a physical location, the decision to be in that physical location is, that's the big decision. That's the big priority. That's a decision that you've already made. So if I were to, given that we're talking about priorities, the number one priority is, or the bigger priority is the decision about what to do, where, and when. That's the big chunk. The smaller chunks, I think, are, are also important, but you don't, you don't shape your day around deciding to buy the headphones, for example. That's incidental, and that's just basically taking advantage of where you happen to be at the time. My point of view on it. Well, you never know. They might be really important headphones. So. <laughs> but uh, this is taking me down a mental path <laughs> of, of where, hey, we're podcasters. Headphones are a big deal. Uh, here's, here's what I kind of get hung up on, though, and people I know have voiced this to me as well. What about over-contextualizing? And I'll use your example, Ray. I'm on an airplane flying somewhere. Do I really need to contextualize the fact that I cannot go to the grocery store at that moment? Do I need to plan and detail it to that level for GTD to really work? Or am I shortchanging the system if I don't? The point is to know what you can do. So again, this is not, this should be an, an easy limiting factor, which is if you're looking at your list and all things being equal, right? This is how I always look at it. With all things being equal, the the what David Allen is saying is that in in his experience, you know, and again, he, he could be wrong. This is not a, this is not necessarily a um, an apologist statement. I'm just stating what he's he's saying, which is you know, when all things are equal, the first thing that people are up against in terms of what can they do is what's available to them what can they can, what they what can they do in this in this moment they should look at what they can do not at what they can't but that logic made sense when in in a world in the 1990s when he developed the system when we had very limited access now that the access has been opened up in other words the constraint has been lifted the question is okay now how do you decide because you could now we're you know maybe back in the day we could do 30% of what we could do today um, from any location. Now we can do 90% from any location. Given that the constraint has been lifted, how do you now decide what to do first? Now I'm going to push back on you in a second with this, Francis, because I don't know that I totally agree that the constraints have been lifted. I think the constraints have changed. Yes, access, much more common. Computer availability, much more common. But let's take a specific use case. If I wanted to record something I could make the argument that I could do it pretty much anywhere. All I need is my machine and the right headset and I can record something. Is that the best way to do it? Well, probably not. So going back to what you said, Ray, about the whole know what you can, know what you can't. Well, before you know if you can do something, you have to know if you can't. What's going to prevent you from doing that? And if we look at that whole taking a piece of work and doing the work to be able to do it, Part of that has to be what are the limiting factors that would prevent you from successfully completing that activity so that when you are in opportunities to work, you don't have to go through that part of the exercise. It's already done. 
you know that sitting in your car in a parking lot waiting for your son to finish soccer, there's certain things you can do and certain things you can't do, but you've already thought that through. So you're down to your can list. But I think the the idea of being able to do anything anywhere is almost too grandiose because it's not entirely true. Uh, there are there are lots of limiting factors that still creep in on things that we have to be cautious of. Yeah, I exaggerated somewhat there. I I, I, I agree. I take take that back. But let's say the decision to record your podcast in the car while you're waiting for your your kid's soccer game is not doesn't happen once you find yourself in the car. That decision could happen at seven thirty in the morning when you're planning your day. He accurately says, yes, you can take advantage of these things. But my argument is that you don't fall into a context by accident. You choose a context, just the way Ray is saying, based on the limitations. And at 7.30 in the morning, you decide, oh, okay, I can, I can do the recording. So you bring your equipment with you or your phone with you. You make sure that when you get there, you park somewhere at the other end of the parking lot. You, you, know, you roll up the windows and then you do your recording because the, 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 the situation is quiet and it's, it's sort of perfect. And you have set it up that way. The way he describes it in the book, so the, the, by only focusing on the advantageous, taking, oppo- taking the opportunity to, to bundle tasks if you happen to find yourself somewhere. While it's true, it's way less important than the decision that most of us have to make, which is how do I, get, how do I arrange the day so that I can get the podcast in at some point and then choosing to do it in the car? That's the far bigger decision that, than the latter decision. Yeah, but I think at that point you're focusing on, and it's not a bad thing, this is what we should all be striving to do, is focusing on the pre-planning of work and activity and schedule rather than the reactionary, How? what do you do with a time slot that's opened up? You had a meeting scheduled from 11 to 12, they canceled the meeting, now you have a free hour. Well, you haven't planned for having a free hour. How can you take advantage of it and utilize it? I mean, if we want maximum productivity, we have to focus on that 168 hours a week that we have to work with and take advantage of every one that gives us the chance. So doing that pre-work as part of a scheduled opportunity, I think that's fantastic. And if you can do it, great. But if you're looking into a system and defining your system around things like the context structure, being able to put that structure in place to say, oh, I am now sitting in the car. I was supposed to have a phone call. I don't have the phone call anymore. I have an hour of idle time. What can I do to take advantage of it? Well, you can waste part of that time to go through and evaluate the work that's available in the context, or you could have pre-contextualized the work that you need to do to say, if it shows up or if the opportunity prevents itself or presents itself, I could do this, that, and the other thing. It's just a different way of thinking. If you're working and operating in this truly ad hoc manner that so many of us operate in now. And again, I think it's also, you know, this is one of those things where if you are working from week to week with a with a healthy weekly review, you are identifying the tasks you know that you can accomplish in the coming week. And then beyond that, you are in an ad hoc nature, which presents why the four criteria model for choosing actions becomes useful to you. So I think it really comes down to the the way in which you manifest your system. If you're not practicing GTD, I don't think this is useful or as useful as it is if you are actually practicing all the fundamental principles of the system. So 
I don't know. I think I could steal it and use it for other things. I mean, it, it let let's 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 look at somebody who's not using GTD or coming into it for the first time. How could they apply this this style of context to other things? Well, it it goes back to what Francis was talking about about tagging and labeling and the things that we've talked about and people by their very nature like to put things in silos and boxes and pigeonholes. It's just easier than trying to deal with massive volumes of information. And if you're taking time to go through and categorize the work and the tasks that you need to get done in ways that are useful to you, things you can do when you're out of the house, things you can do when you're in the house, things you can do from your phone, that's the classic context model. But I'm not saying that that, those contexts have to be for you. Define your own. Find ones that are relevant to you. Apply that to your work so that you can manipulate this mass of tasks and work that you have to do in ways that all of a sudden you can have going from 300 items on a list down to five that you can tackle right now. And it's just you know one or two things that you need to do to get to that five. And then you can get some things done and move forward. So I don't think this is a, a requirement of GTD at all. And I don't think you have to be up to your eyeballs in it to be successful with GTD. But it's one of those things that people focus on it so much and they're like, Oh, I'm not doing context right, so the system doesn't work. Uh, no, that's not the case at all. Let's let's move move along to to the other parts of the the other three criteria of the four criteria model for choosing actions in the moment. And the next one, of course, is time available. And Francis, you you posited earlier that time available is is the is and should be the first criterion. So. So, so make that argument for me. What, what is time available, and and how do you use it? No, no, no. I didn't. I didn't say that actually. What, what I said was, it it becomes the the limiting criteria for very busy people. But there are lots of people, many people who who use, who follow habits that are similar to David Allen's, for whom the primary criteria is not time. It's something like space or something like physical location. And then there are other people who don't even use a to-do list who, for whom the primary criteria is just memory. You know, that, that it's for, for them, it, they, they haven't even gotten to the point where they've started writing things down. They're just trying to remember stuff and they, 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 they use as much memory as they can. They don't use anything else. So the, the, in the sort of the grand picture, we change the way we manage our tasks depending on the limited resource that we perceive that we need to manage. So that all of us are on the same page as well as our listeners, which is to understand that the four criteria model is designed like it's for actions in the moment, which means that we're not planning. We're we're taking stock of what we are planning because we have taken stock of the fact that we're not in a planning modality. We're in a space where all things are equal right now. That is, we believe all things are equal. So you're, when, when you're not engaged, you're disengaged or preparing to be engaged in something new, and you're trying to figure out what to do right now, and that hasn't already been predefined. I, I, uh, I, know, I know that it seems to be like splitting hairs here, but it's very infrequent. No, I think it's really important. In the case of, a, of, a, of someone like David Allen, my perception after reading his book and, and, and reading a little bit about his personal style, and it, it, this goes back to a, a way in which we view our tasks, 
is that as a, as a person who owns his own company, <clears throat> I worked as a solo entrepreneur for a long time. He has a lot of flexibility. If I, if you read into what he says around what I decide to do next, because I'm a solo, you know, I'm, I don't have a meeting in the next hour. I'm someone who has a lot of choice over how I use my space and time. And it, as I read his book, I thought, okay, it sounds as if he's saying, I don't want to be boxed in by a lot of hard commitments. I want to have the freedom to choose whatever I want, whenever I want it. It's a, if you know Miles Briggs, it's a very P kind of style. And I also talk about it in my book because there's, there's different ways of seeing that particular kind of frame of mind. In the Myers-Briggs world, that's perceiving. Um, you can look that up. And they can also look up the, the, Zombard, the Zombardo Time Inventory, I think it's called, the ZTI, I think, which has a similar kind of way of assessing the way we view time. And But the, the result is pretty much the same. There's some people who have lots of flexibility and they don't want to be bogged down by planning every minute of every day because for them, they have a lot of flexibility to decide what's next. But when you don't have that flexibility and you already know that you have committed to, to 200 hours of activity and you only have 168 in the next week, then when there's a, like, for example, the example Art gave, when the meeting gets canceled, your first question is, how much time do I have until uh, to, to, to do whatever I think I know I have an hour. Okay, what can I do in an hour? So the number one priority for someone who is time pressed is how much time do I have available? And yes, I agree, you know, you, you can't say, okay, let me fly to Philadelphia and come back. You can't bend time and you can't say, okay, let me mow the lawn if, if I'm three hours away. I agree that those are considerations, but the the primary concern that they have in that moment, as they consider all of the tasks that they could do in that physical location, is how much time do I have? And they go looking in some system, most of them, because they are man they're managing their tasks in a task manager, and they ask, okay, what could fit into this time? What's even feasible? So obviously I can't write my book because that takes four hours. Uh, I can't, so it eliminates a whole bunch of things that they can't do. And then they say, okay, what can I, what can I do? And that time constraint is the primary one that they go to. Again, this is not for everyone. This is just a subset of people who are the most busy. See, now I'm going to agree with you on half of that. And I think you drew out probably an, a really important piece of it. If you look at time availability, it's only useful if you also know time required. You just mentioned it right there. I'm not going to work on my book because it's going to take four hours. Well, you've taken the time to evaluate how long it's going to take to do a particular task. This is me putting my old project manager hat on. If you go through as part of your planning and know how long work will take, you can more accurately and more effectively react to available time slots. If you haven't gone through that effort, you then have to waste that new time on figuring out how long it's going to take to do the things that you want to fit into it. So you have to do both sides of this equation or else the time available is just free time that you really don't know what you can get the most out of. Yeah, that's, exact, that's exactly my experience. That the people who are on the, the people who are the most busy have assigned durations to all of their tasks. So you're you're exactly right, and they use a they use a tool just to to decide what what will what will fit into the next hour. 
Well, and this will this will roll all the way back to our, to our contexts. If you were to look at my Todoist setup, I actually have labels for five minute, fifteen, one hour, four hour. And when I go through and I look at a task that I have to do, I make a determination roughly how long I think that's going to take. So if it's respond to an email, eh, I'll give that one five minutes. Not a problem. I can tag it. So what that gives me the opportunity is if I have idle time, let's say I'm standing in line at the bank and it's going to be backed up, you know, actually having to go into a physical bank for once. And I've got 15 minutes that I know I'm going to have time to kill. I can pull up my list of things that I need to do and look at that context, the context being time in this case, anything that takes five minutes and I can get two or three or four done. That is part of that evaluation process, part of that work to do work, but it also requires you to be very self-aware about the work you've done. So the third part that we didn't really talk about earlier, and and it comes up in the system numerous times, is keeping track of the effort that you put in on things so that you can use that historical data. So if you're going to operate in a premise that you're going to react to available time, you have to have the information to be able to react to that effectively. And that comes from knowing how long it took to do things in the past. And you know, Art, this is something that I find to be such a thing that people resist, which is time tracking is being able to actually get that information in. And I would I would recommend people to go back to our two episodes on time tracking, both active and passive tracking, because it's really so important, as Art said, to be able to know. I know the duration of that is the the modal average of of duration for what I work on because I've spent so much time tracking. And you don't have to spend your entire professional career as I have tracking all of the time you spend on everything. You you can you can do this in a statistically accurate way without doing it forever. Sometimes a two week tracking period can be very, very insightful and you can get the data you need to be able to then make the decisions that you need to make using this kind of of GTD for criteria model. Well, let me flip it around a little bit and I'll explain a, a trick I use quite a bit and I've shown some other people on how to use. Time tracking can be scary because they think tracking down to the minute, all of a sudden they're thinking that they're acting like a lawyer. And Okay, easy way to track all this. Like I said, I use multiple tags within my Todoist system. So at its most detailed, I have five minute, 15, 30, one hour, two hours, four hours, eight hours. I don't have to sit there and pre-populate all that stuff if something just comes in over the transom. Let's say I get asked to do a recording. I don't know how long it's going to take. I have some time. I'm going to go ahead and do it. When I finish that task, I go back and label it properly with how long it took. That way, I'm building that historical data. I'm not worried that it took 17.4 minutes. I don't have to get that level of granularity. I have to remember that what I'm doing is making my life easier in the future when somebody comes and asks me this. And if you look at project management methodologies, they're all focused around gathering the historical data necessary to provide proper estimates and evaluations of future time. Well, that's what I'm going to suggest to people. If you're scared of time tracking, and it's okay to be scared of time tracking because Lord knows I don't like doing it, then go back and tack it on afterwards. And keep it broad until you feel you're at a point where maybe you want to get more granular. But just by using that little step 
you can get this so much closer to being able to react and evaluate. And when you're sitting there doing your weekly prep and you have this task that you're not quite sure how long it's going to take, you can look at all the other ones that are kind of like it in your system that you've already finished and find out how long they took. And you're going to be way closer to being accurate than if you were just making it up on the fly. And with that, we're going to close out this episode of Productivity Cast. And when we return in the next episode, we will pick up where we left off here in the four criteria model. And then we will complete that part and talk about the horizons of focus or the six level model for reviewing work and close out this discussion on engaging and doing in the workflow diagram. If you have a question or comment about this episode, something that we discussed about GTD or the engaging phase of the workflow diagram, go ahead and visit productivitycast.net. There on the episode page, you will find a comment section. Feel free to leave a comment, or you can head over to productivitycast.net forward slash contact and fill out the form, record an audio message that will come to us, and we will respond if you ask us to, or we might even uh, air that here on the podcast. Uh, thanks to Francis and Art for joining me here on this cast. And you can find all the episodes show notes, how to subscribe there on productivitycast.net. If you are listening from iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or another podcast app that allows you to review us, please feel free to go ahead and do that. That really helps us know that we're doing good by you, but it also helps us to grow our podcast listening community and so thank you. Uh, that brings us to the close of this episode of Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things productivity. Take care. Here's to your productive life. That's it for this Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things productivity with your hosts, Ray Sidney Smith and Augusto Pinaud with Francis Wade and Art Gelwicks.